bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hey everyone, what is up? It's me, Ewan, and welcome to, uh... A very obnoxious installment of the Wheel of Dabbies podcast, because we're doing Bond this week, folks. And when we're doing Bond, that means lots of Bond themes, and you're gonna have to hear me, like, sing a bunch, which, you know... That's partly the main reason why I do these podcasts. But yeah, I don't know if anyone's been keeping up with me on social media over the last couple of weeks. You'll probably have seen that I've entered a James Bond phase. Now, this is the biggest plot twist of the year for me. I didn't think it was going to happen. I was just kind of, I, I saw GoldenEye on Amazon Prime the other week. I was like, you know what? I'm in the mood for a little bit of GoldenEye. And then one little rewatch of GoldenEye just turned into a full rewatch of all the Pierce Brosnan ones, except Dying of the Day, because... Let's be honest, who, who can be bothered? And then I rewatched the Timothy Dalton ones, which were wonderful, and then I dived into a bit of old Roger Moore on Saturday, which um, is still not working for me. But besides that point, um, this turned out to be a really great excuse to get one of my favourite co-workers from What Culture onto the podcast, because he too is a bondsman. Uh, <laughs> please extend a big old welcome <laughs> to Mr. Joe Johnson. How are you doing, Joe? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. I am indeed a, a, a bondsman, apparently. Um, I certainly <laughs> have a, 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 a... Yeah, yeah, that's that's a crime thing. Um, <laughs> I have a, a, a storied history with James Bond, um, mm. I think. Uh, you know, quite quite a, a long and sort of fairly complex and up and down one, so it's, it's been very interesting to kind of go back to it and, yeah. uh, and, and, and come to talk about you know, someone who might be my favourite James Bond. Yes, no, it's good, yeah. So I should say right now we're going to be focusing on the Timothy Dalton Bond movies because mm. out of the rewatches that I went through um, over the last week or so, those are the ones that really stood out in my mind. And obviously Dalton himself is such a fan favourite reputation amongst the kind of like Bond fans and yeah. Bond scholars, you know, for being one of the most faithful portrayals, a real return to form after... The, the campy more wilderness years, um, which some people do enjoy. They've never really been for me, but we are going to be talking about The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Um, two really, really good movies, I think. Uh, and, and one in particular, Living Daylights, that really um, I had never really properly appreciated before. Probably because the last time I saw it, I was about 12. Um, wow. But yeah, so it was a long time coming this rewatch. But yeah, Joe, before we get into all the James Bondiness, do you want to introduce hmm. yourself and to to everyone and to all the listeners. Yeah, so so I'm Joe. I you know, I, I work for uh, for What Culture as well with Ewan, uh mostly in What Culture gaming, uh despite not having played a single 2023 game. Um that's how much of a gamer I am. But um yeah, I uh I I you know, James Bond was sort of the the first big franchise that I was into um as a kid. Uh I think having probably seen GoldenEye first. Well, no, I tell a lie. My first experience with it was uh, will have actually been James Bond Junior, <laughs> the cartoon series. Um, I um, I think you were the person who introduced me to that. I had no idea this was a thing until <laughs> yeah, you told me right. about James Bond Junior. Absolute rubbish, <laughs> but very funny that it exists. Um, but then I think maybe saw Golden Eye. Um, and was just about the right age to to like get it. Um, got really obsessed with it as a sort of 11, 12 year old boy, as they do. Um, probably at the time, 
thought every James Bond film was, like, unimpeachable. You know, these are all masterpieces. They're not. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, got older, then decided they were all shit. Um, because so... The, because there's no room for nuance when you, you know, <laughs> where where when you you're, you're at that age, and now I kind of look back on them with a certain nostalgia, whilst acknowledging there's you know there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in there. Um, and uh, looking at the Timothy Dalton ones, uh, I think they're fascinating films. Um. I think they're kind of the end of that classic era of James Bond. You know, um, there was a sort of six-year hiatus before Pierce Brosnan came in, uh, which I see as kind of being a reboot within itself. It's your first kind of post-war Bond. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're, they're very interesting, and I think they're a good um, a good indicator of kind of what could have been. Mm. Yeah, we'll go into how prescient they are definitely yeah. um, when we get into the main discussion. But yeah, Joe, the, the next uh, obligatory question I have for you, mm-hmm. um, and this fits as well. You can you can answer this how you how you see fit. Uh, awesome. What to you is a dad movie, and also where do you think Bond movies fit within the dad movie canon? Are there any that are particularly more dadlier than than others? Hmm. Well, we've we've talked a little bit about the nature of the dad movie. Um, at work, I think I've said this to you before, but it's it's worth kind of repeating to the audience that, you know, um, to to me, the, the dad movie is kind of a confusing one because, you know, you've got a definition of it and which I, which I fully understand. Um, it, it kind of makes perfect sense. But but my dad, not a dad movie kind of guy when I think about it, like he the films that he got me into um when I was a teenager, because he was the one who really showed me, like, <sighs> film films. I I don't know how to put it. He was the one who got me into, like, art house films um, uh, as I got kind of a little bit older and, and wasn't just watching, like, action movies and things. So he showed me sort of American Beauty and um, and I think The Deer Hunter as well, which Mate, is kind of a dad two. movie. I mean, Deer Hunter does work. It's a brutal watch, but also mm. American Beauty must have been so uncomfortable to watch. It's yeah, like... it was. Like, I think about it, and it's like, I think I was 15, and my dad was like, this is a fantastic film. And it's like, ooh, okay. I bet you he was showing that to you, being like, oh, it's a great movie. Then, like, 10 minutes in, he was like, well, I've committed to my decision. <laughs> I can't reverse <laughs> luckily, this anymore. L- luckily, I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, you know, he, I, I thought he was absolutely right. I was like, wow, films are more than James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and he likes his a lot of his favorite films are you know um you know human dramas and you know he likes a lot of ken loach films and and sort of mike lee stuff that's very slice of life and a lot of stuff that has quite a lot of navel gazing in it um less so than your than your general your dad movie you know your dad your dad movie definition is what the kind of the the man on a mission, the man with a problem to solve, is that is that a kind of yeah that usually um, fits slightly I mean, reductive way of putting it. I, I work with a very broad definition, Joe. It's really a case hmm. of like because I have like all this, the movies that my dad showed me, and they weren't just yeah. like typical dad vibes movies, no. but a lot of them were. So it kind of fits conveniently here. Um, hmm. But yeah, like it, it, it's interesting that like so Bond for you is like a an adolescent discovery and not something that was passed down. No, I mean, my dad uh, did not like James Bond films. Um, uh, he thought they were crap. Um, it was it was actually a friend's dad um, who had 
loads of them taped off the telly. <laughs> and I used yeah. to borrow the VHSs and watch them. Um, and I think The Living Daylights quickly became my favourite of them all. Um, despite the fact that there was like a problem with the tape where like there's a sec there was a section of it that would like cut out and suddenly jump to jump forward a little bit. So I was always missing a part of that film for quite a long time until I got got the VHS myself. Mm. Um but certainly not a my dad thing, but but a friend's dad thing. So they were passed on by yeah someone else's dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Sean cool. Connery being his favorite. Yes, the the de facto dad bond, I feel, at least for our generation. Like, my dad yes. grew up in the 60s, and, like, he would have been a teenager when Moore was doing his thing, but he always yeah. spoke, he never really he never really got me onto the Moore movies. It was like, we're going to start with Connery mm-hmm. um, and really go from there. But yeah, like, my bond, my bond journey was kind of like, I'm struggling to think of it. It's almost like Star Wars to me. It's like, it's always been a part of my life. Like, I remember seeing Star Wars as a lightning bolt moment, whereas James Bond has kind of yeah. always just been there, kind of hanging around um so definitely like the connery movies on tv all the time but i have a really fun anecdote here so when i was young um my uh family back when before the credit crunch happened and we could go on holidays um you know during the financial recession whatever before that um we used to go off to spain uh like once a year and we had a um friend called tony who had worked with my mum at one of her jobs and he had a villa um with joe who, who was his wife um and it was basically a bond lair like it was the most amazing like place you'd walk in and you'd be like wow <laughs> i feel like i'm literally like on a, a bond island it was almost like you Ooh, know a man with a golden wow. gun type territory like there was literally like loads of oh, hills yes. around scaramangas like, incredible yeah. island yeah we'd go around and like um like knock walnuts off trees and, and stuff <laughs> like this and it was just it was like paradise and there was a media room that he had um and i'm sure there were other movies in there but the thing that was like most treasured was that he had an entire cabinet and it had every single James Bond movie on DVD. Ooh, so this had been nice. like the early 2000s, so I forget which editions had been releasing at that point, but mm. he had all of them. So when we used to go hang around with Tony and Joe, um, we'd like have the early evening stuff. So I was only like six, seven, eight when we were doing this. Um, and then the adults would have their like evening party thing. So then I would go into the media room and I'd get to watch a Bond movie. So a lot of my formative Bond moments came from being in the villa and watching a Bond movie, nice. which is kind of like the most Bond setting ever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, a, 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 an exotic locale. Yes, and it was really <laughs> Not fun. Not so unlike ones... Villain's Lair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the ones that I used to watch the most were from Rush With Love. Um, yeah, excellent film. Brilliant movie. Mm. Probably, for me, the high point of Connery's era. I know people love Goldfinger, but I love From Rush With Love, and we'll talk about that when we get into Living Daylights yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Actually, they're very I mean, in tune. I'm inclined to agree on From Russia with Love. It's a proper, yeah. it's a proper spy movie. Yes, and then and Robert Shaw is amazing in that thing. Yes, man. he is so good. Um, and then You Only Live Twice because mm-hmm. I mean, when you're a little kid, how can you not love Little Nelly? Like the coolest yeah. thing ever. Um, also, probably still my favorite Bond theme song. I love that by Nancy. Sinatra. You Only Live it's, Twice is an incredible theme. Gorgeous. And yeah, it it set the standard, didn't it? With sort of Blofeld's Volcano Lair. So many other, you know, later James Bond films are considered remakes of You Only Live Twice. Yeah. 
And then the remaining two that I've watched the most were GoldenEye mm. and Tomorrow yeah. Never Dies, which I still have a great deal of affection yeah. for. And upon my most recent rewatch, actually kind of supplanted GoldenEye as my favorite <laughs> Brosnan, which is interesting going back through those movies um, and kind of coming to that conclusion. Mm. Um, yeah, I remember be like being in school when Die Another Day came out and having that bloody awful Madonna record come on like the, the charts oh. all the time. It was a bad one. Yeah, and then I, like, I... obviously being excited for Daniel Craig's Bond with Casino mm-hmm. Royale, and remember getting the first look at Craig's Bond in like a magazine or an Empire or Total Film, and the write-up including like mentioning all the tabloid criticism of Craig for having blonde hair and being too <laughs> short. And I remember being at the time would have been like nine or eight or something, and being like, "What are they on about? He looks great." And like, yeah, oh, who cares? Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, and and you know. Thinking back to that that Craig era thing, so I must have been about sixteen when um, when all that was happening. Uh, Two thousand six, it came out, and it? so that was the yes. year I turned seventeen. Um, and yes, I remember. I remember people going, "You can't have a you can't have a blonde James Bond. That's that's like total sacrilege." And I thought, did none of you see Die Another Day? Do you, do you not see where the the James Bond franchise was at this point? I don't think the worst thing you could do is is have a guy be blonde. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly, and and Casino Royale did like shift the paradigm very so much. I mean, Casino Royale is probably either my favorite or my second favorite Bond movie. Like, I think that is just an immaculate, immaculate film. Mm. In in terms of certainly in terms of how it's made, um, you know the 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 Daniel Craig films for the most part, um, I would say you know I'd point at Casino Royale and Skyfall in terms of their construction, their craftsmanship, their kind of artistry. Um, I would argue that they're probably the two best, but they're they're probably not the ones that I would necessarily go back to and watch. Um, because, because there is a certain... Um, there's like a certain wonder to the older ones, some of the classic ones, yeah. that, I, that I much prefer. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd much rather sit down and, and watch an older one on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, the ones that we're going to get into right now maybe aren't Sunday afternoon vibes. They may be a little bit more Friday evening vibes. Um, yes, maybe. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Dalton movies here. Now, this is a really good one for me because mm. Timothy Dalton has, going back to those 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 younger Ewan years, mm. Dalton was always a bond that fascinated me growing up because I'd grown up with Brosnan and I'd kind of come to the conclusion over my many rewatches of Tomorrow Never Dies and GoldenEye, that Brosnan was my favourite Bond. And it makes sense, because, yeah. you know, you grow up with him and you kind of latch onto that attachment, you have a lot of nostalgia, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd always had a fascination with Dalton, because it was always the Bond. And, I say, and, and to, to be fair, a, a slight degree as well with Lazenby, who, because mm-hmm. you kind of, you look at them, and you're like, well, they were only in, like, Lazenby only had the one, yeah, and Dalton only had right. the two. And I remember looking at them and thinking, wow, these guys, like, the, the cover on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is such a cool look. And by the way, I watched mm, that yeah. movie the first time this year, and it Did is wow. amazing. Like, I'm so annoyed that growing up, there was the whole, oh, it's the George Lazenby Bond, it's not good. Yeah, and it's, it's great, it's a good it's, film. It's one of the best crafted Bond movies. Like, it is yep. absolutely, like, immaculately edited, beautifully shot, absolutely wonderful time. Um, but with the Dalton ones, I'd all, I was always really fascinated, especially because License to Kill had a 15 rating a 15, on the BBC. Yeah, I, I, it took me a long time to see it for that reason. I wasn't allowed to get that yes. on video. So I wasn't allowed to watch it for for a while. It was always the Forbidden Bond movie. And, and mm-hmm. the, the Living Daylights kind of got pulled into that reputation 
at the same time as well, which was so curious to me, having, you know, since watched it and stuff and realising that Living Daylight's really, you know, it, it's tamer than Goldeneye. You know, it's it's nowhere near mm, as, like, yeah. you know, sexed up, haunted up, violent as that movie. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so they always really fascinated me. And I finally got to watch them when I was, like, Oof, I would have been, it would have been after, I've told this story multiple times about how Die Hard mm. and the Vengeance and the Untouchables were my gateway into like violent adult cinema. Yeah. Um, it was kind of around that time that I was shown License to Kill, um, which mm. and I, I bloody loved it. And I think Dalton is amazing. And having, you know, kind of had this recent Bond obsession again and having had the, you know, all the Craig movies as well and kind of seeing and interrogating what each Bond is going for, you know, whether it's the comprehensive all-rounder nature of Brosnan or, you know, the tortured spirit of Craig or, like, yeah. you know, the the dark strut, strut of Connery. Mm. And you get to Dalton and the way he carries himself on screen, what I love so much about him is that you can really tell that he is a man who is um, who has genuinely loved, is yeah. isolated and is kind of doing a job that he doesn't want to do. Um, Definitely. And there's an awkwardness to how Dalton carries the character at times, but I think it's a deliberate awkwardness where you can tell mm. that he's slightly guarded and can't fully commit to stuff because he doesn't want to open himself up. But then he has those moments where he does open himself up and you can see the genuine love and warmth that's there too. Yeah, when when he does open up, he, he comes across as a likeable man who who has a lot who has a lot going for him and and I think he you know, he um I th- certainly before before Brosnan and Craig maybe even more so than Brosnan he feels like he feels like a believable guy who who exists outside of the film that he's in um which I wouldn't say for someone like Roger Moore who feels too much like a a kind of a, a weird cartoon character most of the time. Yeah, I can't um, get away with more. I, I re I yeah. rewatched Live and Let Die for the first time in a very long time on Sunday. <laughs> I, I know people like that movie. It no, doesn't it it doesn't get better than the, the the funeral. The opening funeral scene is fantastic. I mm. love that set piece. That's really well done. The mystery and layer with, as they come around the corner and he yeah, asks that's them good who's, fun. whose funeral it is and they kill him and stuff. That's, that's that's really well done. But everything that's else yeah. about the movie, I kind of find abominable um, yeah I, I i don't know i think Sh- sheriff jw pepper in that film is i don't know i mean this i've not watched it in a while yeah. but i remember i remember sort of because i'd seen those films a bunch of times and of course sheriff jw pepper turns up in um in the next one uh man with the golden gun he's in that and he's this awful buffoon but in the first one he's this kind of you know, he's, he's played a bit more subtly, and I remember watching it and thinking, oh, I like J.W. Pepper in this. Not as in, I think he's a nice guy, yeah. but I thought, oh, he's quite a compelling character. Just felt but very again, Dukes of Hazard, like very Dukes of Hazard kind of cornball mm. stuff for me. And like more himself, he's just too lethargic, he's too playboy. There's no rough edge. I can't buy him he's, as having killed He's smarmy as Moore, he comes across yeah. as, as pervy. But I can um, buy, I can buy Dalton as a killer. Definitely. Um, so we'll give a little bit of context here. So starting off, we're going to, it's not going to be a case where we're going to do it movie by movie. We're just going to have a general chat, I think, about Dalton's yeah. Bond. So um, Night, Living Daylights comes out in 1987, I believe. So this is like a couple of years after the last Moore movie, which was A View to a Kill, um, which, you know, <laughs> even though it has a banger theme song, it's a really bad movie. Um, Dreadful film. 
you know, at this point... You say, I mean, not just a banger theme song, but Christopher Walken and Grace Jones are the villains in that film. Yes. And it's such a waste. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, but again, they pay off that in the Everything or Nothing video game where you get Willem Dafoe playing <laughs> Zorin's yes. brother or whatever. True. Um, but yeah, by that point in time, you know, the the kind of Bond as a franchise had become a parody of itself, you know. It, it, yeah. More had had, what, six outings in the in the role? He was 57. I think, yeah, I think time. seven, you know. Seven, potentially, yeah. But he's like 57 when A View to a Kill comes yeah. out. And it looks like a franchise that has been frozen in the 60s. You know, it hasn't really progressed. If On Her Majesty's Secret Service was meant to be the watershed moment where Bond kind of moved into a new era of, like, Mm. filmmaking, you know, it kind of reversed that with Diamonds Are Forever, and then the regression continued. And then you can talk about how, you know, Moore developed his own style. For me, those movies are still trapped in in a different decade. They look untouched by time. Um, yeah. And yeah, we get definitely. to The Living Daylights, and there is a understanding on behalf of the producer, Bob, um, sorry, uh, Kirby Broccoli, that, that mm. things need to change. They want to go back to their roots, and they sound, they sound out Timothy Dalton, who they previously approached to play the role in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And he had um, rejected that because he thought that at the time, he was too young. He himself, was his understanding of Bond was so great that he understood that he at the time, a 26, 27-year-old guy, was too right, young yeah, to play the character. Yeah, that's nearly twenty, nearly twenty years before he he was in. He turned up in uh, the Living Daylights, of course. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, James Bond should not be a man in his twenties. Absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating because I was thinking the other day. I was I put the thought out on Twitter, like how might the Bond franchise have progressed if Dalton had taken on the role in On Her Majesty's mm. Secret Service? Would you have had the same backlash that Lazenby got? Where it was a case of we want Connery back, and you get the kind of the weirdness of Diamonds Are Forever, and then you get into the Moore era, or because we understand very well now that the actors themselves really do inform the direction and tone of these movies. Um, yeah. Would Dalton's you know knowledge of the character, his authority in that area, and also his darker instincts for it, would that have changed things? Would you have maybe had you know a Bond, a series of darker espionage movies? more in tune with stuff like what Alan Pacula was doing, with stuff like the Parallax View, or like mm. what Sidney LeMay was doing with uh, Three Days of the Condor, or would you have continued to have that thing? And it's it's interesting because I contemplate that. I think Dalton would have been great on Her Majesty's Secret Service, not to slight Lazenby or whatever, because I think he, yeah. he's fine in that movie. Um, but at the same time, like I, I, I'm kind of weirdly glad that we didn't get that because I really think The Living Daylights is really unheralded like as a like a stellar bond movie it absolutely is you know i've i've listened to like i've listened to multiple film podcasts and when they get to the living daylights it's frequently people you know people giving it three out of ten and saying this is the worst one and and i just i can't I, i can't quite get behind that i just find i find timothy dalton's one so compelling that it makes no sense to me yeah, so this is one directed by John Glenn. Now, Glenn had That's served right. as, I think, leave a second unit director and assistant director and, like, editor on, like, previous Bond movies, and he yeah. directed several before this. Um, yeah, starting with uh, For Your Eyes Only. Yes. Uh, interesting with For Your Eyes Only being the one that he started with, because that was a film which I think attempted to bring James Bond literally and figuratively back down to earth after he'd gone to space in Moonraker, you know, the, the James Bond franchise had got so ridiculous, they then thought, right, okay, let's let's have a go at another kind of 
simple espionage film and uh, i mean have you been have you watched um for your eyes only yet in your rewatches no so the the more what the only more movies that i have seen are literally mm. um live and let die man with the golden gun and a view to a kill so i've not been given even the more fans mm. out there would say that i have not been given the best examples of him in the role yeah you've you've watched some of the worst ones um i it's been a long time since i've seen a lot of these films, but but as I remember it, For Your Eyes Only, I would say, is probably Moore's best. I don't think um, I'm really back for The Spy Who Loved Me. Is yes, like the, best the Spy one. Who Loved yeah. Me is a, is a... It's a good one. It's a, it's very... We were talking about remakes of, uh, <laughs> of You Only Live Twice before, and that feels very much like one. You've got a kind of, you know, uh, guy with infinite money in a preposterous base under the ocean who sort of wants to blow up the world you know um and found a, a civilization under the sea it's it's ridiculous <laughs> but it's but it's good fun yeah um, if nothing more than good fun but uh but i would say that uh that yeah for your eyes only if my memory serves is a is a a better film with with a lot more going for it and a much more um believable storyline with some actual pathos Mm, yeah so we get to the living daylights and yes. dalton and this is after a protracted saga in which pierce brosnan almost plays the character as well he's on <laughs> remington steel yeah. the, the the show is about to be cancelled and dalton had previously rejected the parts so then they they go to brosnan and they're like hey do you want to play it he signs on and then remington steel benefits from the interest in the show and then mm-hmm. it doesn't get cancelled so brosnan has to basically do a sentence of television <sighs> Which prevents him from entering the role of Bond for for several more years. So it Mm -hmm. it allows Dalton to step in, which I think is to all of our benefit. Um, Because I think you get... Brosnan benefits from being in the 90s, although I do think that he is slightly underserved by the material he's given, where you've kind of got this this Bond crisis of identity going on in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is very Um, weird. And it only kind of really begins to reconcile with itself with the world is not enough, where they actually mm -hmm. try and add more pathos and, like, you know, character intrigue with him and he doesn't isn't just a, a generic quip machine yes definitely uh the world is not enough pierce brosnan is doing quite a lot more acting yeah in that film and he's he's got a lot more to work with the the first two um golden eye and tomorrow never dies I mean, we were originally going to talk about golden eye at one point mm-hmm. uh but i think we might have had a falling out if um we talked about it and after i saw that you gave it six out of ten um <laughs> but i may be blinded by nostalgia it's weird Golden joe Light. i didn't i didn't expect to be so disinterested in it when i rewatched mm. it and i think it was just generally a case of i think it has an immaculate opening the opening incredible like, opening yeah the opening 10 15 minutes of golden eye through to the title card and you get that great scene between bond and m all of that is fantastic mm-hmm. there's just a weird pacing to it that i just it kind of really took me in and out of moments and mm. yeah i don't know i won't but i won't, won't dwell on golden eye no 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 um, certainly not but certainly for the living daylights you know dalton gets brought in and mm-hmm. there's a really good clip of him talking about his interpretation of the character for i believe it's the everything or nothing documentary not for the game but it's just called the everything or nothing yes documentary you, yeah you showed me that excellent clip the other day he's there talking about the character and his understanding and just not only is Timothy Dalton a very charming man, because he's got mm-hmm. a ridiculously good smile and a nice, smooth voice. Yeah. Um, but hearing him talk about Bond and his understanding of the character, and really making, wanting to make a version of that character that carries on from Fleming's books, and also the version that we see in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, 
where, you know, he loses his wife and he's kind of like an angry, violent man who, you know, is still tortured by that loss. And how, you know, that's such a great, insightful place to, to, you know, to to pick up from. And again, I think you'd have a really good triple feature here if you had On Her Majesty's Secret Service, The Living Daylights and The License to Kill. I think that is a great Bond trilogy. You absolutely could. I think those iterations of the character are entirely consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so Living Daylights comes out in 1987. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a return to the roots of the character. It's yeah. got this really good Cold War plot all about Bond basically um, being... What's initially set up is him getting to extract a, a Soviet general. Um, yes. which Georgi Koskov. Yes, who, who <laughs> plays the, the lead fucking villain in The Fugitive, by the way. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the doctor that... Jero and Crab. Yeah, he's the guy who like uh, sets up... Um, Richard Kimball. He like kill- he's the goodness. guy behind the conspiracy. You switch the samples. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's got to extract him, and mm-hmm. the whole pl- instant intrigue comes from he's got to basically do sniping Overwatch. He's got that great bit where he changes out of his tuxedo, turns well, it in, and then I was going to say he turns it inside yeah, out yeah, into yeah. this kind of tactical like yeah. this this turtleneck sort of not cat suit, but this. It's great. That's a really smart little thing. And he, yeah, he goes to the uh, not not the opera, the um, the, the the concert hall. He yes. meets his meets his mate Saunders, the most uptight MI6 agent. Who, Saunders, Section yes. V, Vienna. You're bloody late. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I love, love him. I... And we'll get into the Vienna, Vienna stuff as well because I watched mm. um, the Third Man for the first time this year, which is shot up into one of my okay. favorite movies of all time now. And that film is set in post-war Vienna in after right. world war Two, and the amount of political intrigue and romance and the stylistic choices in living daylights it's taking a lot of cues from the third man there is even yeah. the scene that kind of partially imitates the ferris wheel scene from the third man i mean i don't know if you've seen mm, the third okay. man joe i have but not would, seen the third man no. you need to watch it it is mm-hmm. one of the greatest movies ever made I won't give any spoilers, but certainly totally right. me compa- just know that me comparing the Living Daylights to the Third Man, even if like I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the Third Man, you know, it's no, still lofty still. praise because it's like kind of shooting for those areas. Yeah. But yeah, the main political intrigue comes from him. You know, he's getting ready to shoot this sniper, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be one of the cellists that's been working cello, yeah. um, at, at, on the concert hall, and he very quickly realizes that something isn't right here. So he shoots yeah. to to disarm, extracts the general. Mm-hmm. And then we get the really fun title card. And again, Joe, you know, I was looking up a ranking of all the different Bond themes the other day. Yeah. And I saw the Living Daylights ranked consistently low on all these rankings. That's ridiculous. And I, That's and I, I, absolutely and shocking. upset me so much because not only do I love Aha, and again, I think mm-hmm. maybe the chorus is a little boring, but the verse where mm-hmm. it's like, living's in the way we, we die. I fucking... yeah. It's amazing. It's an absolute, it's it's such a great theme. Um, you know, it, it was that, that, that brief period, sort of that sort of mid 80s, mid to late 80s period where you had a couple of like just awesome pop groups you Hold know like like Duran Duran <laughs> yeah yeah um, <laughs> it's, it's a great time and we won't we won't be doing a plot breakdown off here and again the only bit of plot discussion I'm gonna have right now is uh Matt Lynch's review on Letterboxd who really does kind of because the living daylights want to have one of the big blemishes against it is that 
the plot is super convoluted. Um, so his review here. Yes. Um, this is from 2014. It's taken me 25 years or so, but I finally actually fucking understand the bad guys' plan in this. And I just want to write it down for posterity. Mm-hmm. A Soviet general fakes his own defection to the West and recaptured by the KGB, both to mm-hmm. stall for time and to gain Bond's trust in order to trick him into killing a key rival. After he is caught diverting state funds meant for an illicit arms deal, which he intends to exchange for diamonds to be traded to the Mujahideen for opium, which he will then sell in Europe at a massive (laughs) profit to be split with an arms dealer played by Joe Don Baker, who you'll recognize as Wade in in the Brosnan movies. So... Yeah, it is... There is a lot going on here. However, even... What I will say is... Mm. Living Daylight succeeds to me as a vibes movie because I think Definitely. the central, you know, kind of Cold War atmosphere, the relationship mm-hmm. between Bond um, and... Uh, do, 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 oh, what's the name? Kara Milovi. The, yes, uh, the their relationship together. All of that is just a fantastic mood board for the character. And especially it when very, it very goes well. into him unraveling the conspiracy. The only thing I will say is that, like, I love all that Cold War stuff. I think mm-hmm. his outfit, when he's got the leather jacket and sweater on, is one of the coldest Bond fits ever. It's so cool. And he Ooh, drives... yeah, when yeah. when they're driving around in... Um, is it in Bratislava? In, yes. Uh, in that black Aston Martin. Yeah, yeah. he looks oh, very, very good. The cool. Aston Martin is also my favourite iteration of Aston Martin. It's a Martin. great car. I, yeah. I don't remember it being good. I, I remember sort of... When I was about to watch it, I was like, oh, it's the one with that really crap-looking black dowdy Aston Martin but then I watched the film again two or three weeks ago now and I was thinking this car's way better than I remember this it's is the awesome. coolest Aston Martin in my view yeah, I think it's, it is the coolest a, one it's a bit of a magic car in that he sort of gets <laughs> in it and then and every time there's a, some kind of obstacle he like presses one button and it's like oh here's the missiles here's the laser that, that when cuts he gets the, the skir- car in the half skirting, and... uh, gets the skis out and he's like looking across at her just as the Timothy Dalton yeah. smile um, but yeah, I mean, the it only, is, the only issue weird. I have is like, I think the, the third act is quite mm. bolt on. It gets very kind of like, uh, Rambo three with like the Mujahideen and like the, the, the yeah, stuff this, there. this film is dedicated it just kind of to felt the like Mujahideen fighters. Yes. They, they just needed to end it. I think if they kept, if they kept the action all mm. in Europe and they kind of removed the Soviet Afghan invasion stuff, I think it could be a perfect movie. Yes, absolutely. Because up to that point, it is very, um, it it's very centralized isn't it it starts in Czechoslovakia there's a brief um there's a brief uh debrief uh somewhere in England i think isn't there yeah. um great you know, sequence have... by the way <laughs> yes yeah it's very good um with our uh, the, the it's, well it's um it's now i have a machine gun ho 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 isn't it yes it is, uh, it is. andreas Visniewski um with his exploding milk bottles and his uh, and his walkman garrot um, but you know, after that, there's there's a brief bit in Tangier, but he, you know, we then go back to Bratislava, and then the Tangier into... stuff I love as well. By the way, the Tangier I love stuff's all that. very good, yeah. Um, and then Bratislava again, and then uh, Vienna. They 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 surf into Vienna on uh, in a cello case, um, which which makes me think back to actually a, a brief Twitter exchange we were having with someone else when you were talking about well when we were both talking about the Living Daylights, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he said. Oh, I, I don't know about the Living Daylights. It's got too many holdovers from Moore. And I said, I, I don't know if it does. And thinking about it, surfing across a border on a cello case, yeah, it's a little bit more. 
Yeah, um, it's, it's it's Jay. You know, Jay's really cool. He works for the Red Men TV. Um, yes. Shout out to Jay. I love Jay. Bloody love Jay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there, there are certain... It's weird because for as much mm. as... For as much as The Living Daylights feels to me like it's really trying to channel from Russia with love, and it does it so well yeah. at times. And again, those third man influences too. I think the setting of Vienna is very deliberate there. Um, yeah. There are some weird holdovers. Like, Joe Don Baker's character is very much a more era camp villain. Like, the idea of, you yeah. know... But at the same time, as much as I think it totally clashes with what we're going for, I do think there's some interesting political kind of commentary going on here, how he is literally a fake soldier, and he is fueling yeah. the continuing Cold War for his own Yeah, yeah, game. definitely. He's just a war profiteer with no real credentials. And, and he's also a war nerd. It feels very much like they're commenting on that jingoistic streak that's there yeah, on the West. He's a, he's a, as well he's as an he's... awful man, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, Pushkin... Um, uh, John uh, John Reese Davies character he's great. Uh, really really tears him apart when he has that meeting with him you know because he's got all these statues of himself these waxworks of himself oh when he's literally Genghis you know, he, Khan he's and Hitler he stood and... like but next to the waxworks it's such a great introduction <laughs> yeah, that's it's a good gag um, but yeah he really does say you know where where did you actually serve mm-hmm. you know you're you're, a, you're you're no real soldier you were expelled from West Point for cheating you know and it, it it's very good. Um, I suppose before before we move on to talk about License to Kill, um, just to, to bring up the, you know, the kind of off feeling of the uh, the uh, the Afghanistan stuff. Uh, as you said, it's all a bit awkward. It, it's very Rambo three, and it does especially. It, sorry, but not to cut you off, especially when they show up at the very end at the opera house in full combat regalia. Oh my god, I'd forgotten about that completely. They're in full that's combat like, gear, armed like, to the teeth, like Episode Six Return of the Jedi kind of style ending vibes. And they're just there, like <laughs> yeah, let's all have a party together. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, but uh, yes, af- after a film that has been very grounded, um, and w- what I quite like about Dalton is that you know. A lot of um, a lot of his sort of combat scenes, his fight scenes, his action scenes, they're not. It hasn't devolved yet into sort of montages of him just like shooting a hundred guys, which I think is a lot of, which is a problem a lot of the time with the with the Brosnan films. I find, yeah, um, they they feel like video game levels, uh, which is perfectly on brand for the nineties. But there's, it's much more of an espionage film. We've talked about that. You've talked about the comparisons to The Third Man. It's, it's very grounded. It's all, as convoluted as it is, it's all sort of quite believable. Um, and then we go to Afghanistan and we get these gigantic scenes with the Mujahideen where it just, it, yeah, it just goes over the top and it introduces like a huge amount of new plot elements. You know, in the third act of a film that feel, which do make it feel very bloated. Um, and, and I've mentioned this to you before already because it just it makes me laugh is that you know so he's joined the the mujahideen here he joins up with the mujahideen who you know who 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 we know a lot of whom will become the taliban later down the line uh but a lot of the afghan mujahideen went on to form um a particular afghan bureau who then became al-qaeda uh, al-qaeda famously started by a, uh, <laughs> a a man who was uh, educated in part in Oxford, a lot like Cameron Shah, Art Malik's character in this film. So, looking at it by complete accident, uh, James Bond has basically <laughs> befriended and worked alongside Osama bin Laden, and not only has he done that, as the scene later on there has the Mujahideen being chased across a bridge by the Soviet forces. 
and they look like they're about to get taken out and then Bond manages to to just fly over the top of them and I think drop the bomb onto that bridge yeah. which destroys the bridge saves the Mujahideen and saves not Bin Laden's life which leads me to believe that if 9-11 did happen in Bond's world it was James Bond's fault <laughs> um, so yeah that's a bit weird not yeah. only did he join the Taliban he's made to Bin Laden but if it's any consolation, he did also give us that... And again, for as much as I really dislike the third act of this movie, mm-hmm. um, I love the, the the cargo plane fight sequence, which is literally something that Uncharted yes. stole for itself decades later. It is, later. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, well, it's not straight out of Uncharted. Uncharted's one is straight out of that, yeah. you know? And there's um, the fact they actually brilliant. got people, like the aerial stunts in these movies, this and License to Kill, are ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, these are... Yeah, these are these are stunt guys hanging out of a plane, you know, stage fighting on the back of a plane, and it's incredible, you know, like where where Uncharted say can get you close ups of the actual actors and characters looking really cool, so you're right in there with the action. You know, you still know that it's just a couple of guys on a green screen. No sense of scale. The scale here no. is ridiculous. You you Big, know, and again, wide shots. It's fantastic. That's the other cool thing as well about Dalton. Is the fact that he also mm. did quite a few of his stunts. Like he did quite a few of them, more so than than Brosnan. Yes. I noticed a lot of them watching. And again, it's not an actor's job to be a stunt man. It's completely, you know, they shouldn't have to do anything they're not comfortable with. No, but I did notice not. when I was rewatching the Brosnan movies that you could really, it was really obvious when he was not doing the stunt or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, that's that's a, that's a low blow to me because I think Dalton was just so immersed and dedicated to the character. Yeah, um, then yeah. yeah, it's it's not an indictment of Pierce Brosnan at all. Like no. it's a it's it's a credit to how much. Dalton wanted to get involved, especially after Roger Moore would generally have to be replaced by someone else anytime you weren't looking at his face. Yeah. By the end. Um, so yeah, and then this takes us to License to Kill. So Living Daylights, yes. even though it wasn't like a unanimous critical success, did get quite a bit of praise. There's also a lot of criticism. Made yeah. a lot of money. So we get License to Kill next, and this continues Dalton, the thrust of Dalton's Bond. It's darker, it's edgier. Um, mm-hmm. Still directed by John Glenn. Um, yeah. But what we get here is almost like an R-rated redux of um, Live and Let Die. There are certain elements from Live and Let Die that come into a play mm. in License to Kill. Um, and again, really carrying forward, you know, if, if The Living Daylights hints at Bond's sadness over his marriage, License to Kill grasps it with both arms and basically forces you to acknowledge the trauma oh, and pain yeah, that he's you, feeling. You really see it. It, you know, it, uh, yeah, I mean, it bleeds through with yeah. the the film's plot hinges on it, really. Yes, absolutely. You know, he's not just he's not just getting revenge for Felix, is he? He's he is reckoning with what he's been through before. Yeah, totally. And again, that's why it makes the ending so great. I I, I really like. I think License to Kill is like it, in 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 a strange way, even though it's a more consistent movie than The Living Daylights, it never mm. reaches the highs of The Living Daylights. No, there isn't. There aren't any scenes that that are as good as the best parts of of the Living Daylights. The the first two thirds of the Living Daylights are really fantastic, and it just kind of drops off near the end. License to Kill sits consistently just below that level. Yeah, but um, I mean the but, end. The end truck chase is incredible, though. <laughs> brilliant, absolutely brilliant, yeah. and quite low key, really. Yeah, compared to a lot of. James Bond climaxes. Yeah, so this one comes out in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about Bond avenging the deaths of uh, the death of Felix Leiter's wife, 
Felix mm-hmm. himself is mauled to death by sharks, played by from a drug dealer, well, played by mm-hmm. uh, well, not mauled to death. He's mauled quite se- mauled severely, to, almost death, M- almost death. And mm. um, he, he 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 disagreed with something that ate him. Fucking That's right, yeah. Bastard. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he's basically you know targeted by a powerful drug kingpin, mm-hmm. played by Robert Davi, who played Agent Johnson in Die Hard. And I don't know if you recognise this joke, Big but Johnson, the, but mm. the other Johnson is also in. License to kill. You you pointed that out to me, and it was great because in my notes, um, there's a point where because you know he's there he's there when they're first sort of going after Sanchez, isn't mm-hmm. he? And then you see him when they're at Felix's. I was about to say deathbed there, but w- when they're there in the ICU with him, and there's you know because there's Sharky, and then there's this other guy, um, and then I do I do have a um a note here saying something like um. Uh, where where is it? He, you know, he's oh, I like Haw- it's saying I like Hawkins, this minor cop character who keeps showing up. You know, he's sort of this. He's just there. He's the one who keeps liaising with Bond, and it's quite nice. And then you were like, "Hey, did you like that? It was that it was a uh, little Johnson from from Die Hard." And I was like, "Oh Christ, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. very nice." Yeah, I mean, the ensemble here is really good. I think you know the two, like especially the the CIA counterpart that Bond has in here. She's really cool. I think the love triangle itself Pound is more. Mm. She's great. The love triangle doesn't really mm. do it for me. I think the love triangle no, kind of drags no, this thing a, down at times, and it, kind of, it's a yeah. big weak point. Yeah, um, as much as I I quite like the character, uh, as much as I quite like the character of uh, Lupe Lamora, uh, played by Talisa Soto, I, I don't think her acting's hugely convincing. And there's a couple of there's a couple of things there that really fall flat. There's a bit later on when um, uh, I I can't quite remember what's happened. I think Bond has gone back to Sanchez. We're talking quite a bit later on. This she comes and bursts into the hotel room where uh, where Pam Bouvier and Uncle Q are. <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> last Desmond Llewellyn and, in this movie, by the way, man, my favorite oh, Q performance. I, I love I love seeing more of it. I'd forgotten how much he's in this film, and he's there. He's properly on assignment with him. It's great. You know, he plays like he plays his driver. He he pretends to be this gardener. <laughs> the mustache. Yeah, with the silly mustache and his broom microphone. You know, he 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 he's there in the field, and it's really nice. Um, but you know, anyway, when uh, Lupe Lamora comes bursting into the room and she says he's gone back to Sanchez, I'm so worried. And she says, she says, oh, I I just love James so much, and it's you don't love him. You like you slept with him like once, and it's like you just say I'm concerned for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 one of those where like it's clearly you can tell. I think again, the great thing about this is that like you can tell almost that even though Bond has sympathy for her, it mm. very much feels like it's um like he's manipulating the situation to get closer to Sanchez. Oh, which, definitely, definitely. You know, literally the first time he sees her, he's like he puts a knife to her throat and says, "You make a move, and I'll kill you." Like, yeah, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, and and I mean, he certainly, you know. It, it, that goes back to to the living daylights where you know when he's very good this this dalton bond what i like he's very quick on his feet he's able to kind of to to fabricate a story out of nowhere you know just briefly to touch on the living daylights when he sees koskov's photo in her apartment and he says this that's yorgi you know and and she says oh he's my boyfriend and he's immediately like right okay i need a story and he, and he has it and he goes oh i'm a friend of his i'm he, he's told me to meet you and take you somewhere safe. And so he immediately kind of manipulates her very, very well. Um, but then their chemistry starts to kind of blossom really nicely and organically. But but very similarly with, with Lamora, he does. He, he manipulates her. And he's brilliant at it. 
and it kind of brings us the best dynamic of license to kill like we mentioned kind of like mm. you know it takes a lot of cues from to live and let die um but mm. even better are the cues that it takes from yojimbo and a fistful of dollars where you have the bond mm. as the almost man with no name-esque figure playing kind of like the sides against each other in a way like it's like he, it's he really does, he... there's a bit of divide and conquer going on isn't there i, I remember making that note um when he realizes that he can he can point the finger at milton crest later on who is the by the way i always go on about how um <laughs> dennis franz in most movies he plays like the typical oh, yeah. sleazy scumbag man he's the guy who plays mm. the airport chief of security in die hard 2 and yes. he's also in Dress to Kill, and he's also in Psycho 2, where he plays the pornographic motel manager. Um, mm. Anthony Zerber in License to Kill might be the most repulsive, like, looking character I've ever seen in a movie. And that's not to, like, make fun of Anthony is. Zerber, but the way he comes across in this movie is literally like he is he is just the most, like, it looks like he's done so much cocaine. Um, absolutely all, repulsive, yeah. And and he just looks like he's he's just the most, the little moustache as well. Ugh, like mm. Everything about the character for me is, like, designed to be repulsive. And then he even gets, like, the most repulsive death in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's got such a gnarly death. But, but I mean, not just the deaths, the, the gnarly deaths, I mean, they, you know, they extend to just hey, about Benicio every villain. as well, man. That's yeah, like I, you know, my notes say, "Oh, here it comes—the gnarliest death in all of Bond," and that's um, that's Anthony Zerbe exploding in a decompression chamber. And then just below that in my notes is, "Oh, here's the second gnarliest death in all of Bond," when an extremely young, extremely good-looking Benicio del Toro is just is just mashed. And then that. you have the third most brutal death in Bond, where he yeah. lights, um, you know, Sanchez, Sanchez on fire, and it looks like it could have been so, from the ending like, to live and die in L.A. Like it looks yeah, like it's something Friedkin could have done. <laughs> and 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 he dies so unceremoniously, like you know, he's he's got the machete at him, and he just he flicks up the lighter, the guy bursts into flames, and half a second later he's gone. There's no like, there's no ceremony about it. I was amazed by how quickly he just dispatches the guy. I love that bit as well because I really do buy like for as much as Felix is such a cursory kind of background, you know, mm. like he almost feels like a bolt on addition for like an American audience where it's like we need to have our American force in some of these yeah. movies. Yeah, like, well, he's you know, he's a he's kind of a MacGuffin, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's a plot device, Felix, but, in this one. But I feel like there there is still emotional significance there because, like you said, it's not about Felix and his wife. It's almost like Bond getting closure for his own emotional torture. Yeah, that's that right. This bit... is the revenge that he wished he could have taken. Yeah, exactly. Is that yeah? Because I'm not. I'm refusing to acknowledge the bit in Diamonds Are Forever where they drop Blofeld down a fucking chimney. Um... Oh, that that's that's in. Um... That's for your eyes only for where he does only. that at the oh beginning. God, yeah, he that. drops drops a bald man in a wheelchair whose face you never see down a smokes. Okay, so it comes at that <laughs> point. Okay. I forgot. No, I, please, I, I, I had it in my head that he killed Blofeld and Diamonds are forever as spare well. Spare me, Mr. Bond. I yeah. will buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel. Like, what the fuck are we looking at here? Yeah, Awful. crazy. But, um, um, but yeah, like, there's that, yeah. that they kind of, you know, that bit at the beginning of License to Kill where they have the end of the wedding. And she, like, mm. takes off her garter and it's like, hey, this is what they say. And he's just like, actually, no, I'm still a bit <laughs> traumatized. Don't. De- I, I think Della, like, I don't know. I think Della might have settled for Felix, you know. Oh, she was, she, what, she was like, they, they, mm. those two, those two parachute down after doing the, the plane grab, which, hey, 
much like how Uncharted ripped off um, Living Daylights, Inception just took this straight from <laughs> License to Kill. You know, they do the plane grab, um, which is great when they get Sanchez, and then they both parachute down to the wedding, and and she is just, you know, she she's just so besotted with Bond. But it's great because that's just before the theme tune, and they they both they all go into the um, into the wedding. And what I love, this is a, a detail that I loved, was how um, Bond and Felix's parachutes are still attached trailing behind them much like a wedding dress does. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's that's a cute detail you know i think that's that's quite a fun thing but then you know straight after the the theme tune which we haven't talked about actually oh, i can't but, wait um, to the theme tune i fucking love that theme is, tune. <laughs> yeah it, it's great but um yes yeah, so we will get to that but but after the theme tune you know they're at the wedding there's steel pans playing at the wedding uh for anyone who doesn't about... know me i play the steel pan i teach the steel pan you know the caribbean instrument uh, as soon as I heard it, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yes, steel pans at the wedding. There we go. That's nice. But, you know, Della's like, oh, yes, it's a custom to, to, to like, properly get off with the best man. And I'm not sure that is a custom. And then she's like, hey, what about this garter that I'm going to really obviously show off to you and then throw to you? Um, which then gives us this, this very serious moment where he looks really hurt by it all. Yeah, no, it's really, really tragic. We should talk about the theme, because the theme is the one yes. that, like The Living Daylights, I feel has been unjustly mm. discounted in Bon Canon. And I was very relieved that when I I, I basically, um, excuse me, I, I clipped it on Twitter the other day, and I got loads of people replying and liking and sharing it, being like, hell yeah, this is my favourite theme of the Bond franchise. I'm like, thank God, because I've seen a lot of people be like, eh, it's okay. And I think that that kind of comes from the idea that because it samples a bit of Goldfinger, that it's somehow derivative, but it's completely mm. Gladys Knight's own sound. Like, it is so... Oh, yeah. 80s, like, kind of just, like, booming vocals. Mm. Um, it, and it is by much far... much more 80s than, than it, it, I'd remembered. It mm. is the catchiest Bond theme for me. I, I have, like, it never leaves my brain. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I will freely admit that I think I was one of the people who, who was like, ah, oh, that Gladys Knight one's not great. Especially, I think, after having had the one-two punch of Duran Duran followed by Aha, um, and then several years later getting Tina Turner's Golden Eye, which, which is I a love banger. as a theme because it yes. simmers away and it's very tense. And I thought, oh, this Gladys Knight one's a bit uninspired. It's just kind of doing the Shirley Bassey thing, as he said. And then I heard it and I was like, no, it's not. It doesn't sound like it's from the 60s, which was when Shirley Bassey was doing them. It's much more modern than that. It's It's so big. And it's, yeah, it's really bombastic. It's a fantastic theme tune, which I did judge harshly. And, uh, you know, this is my repentance. <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. I think if that's how you're going to do homage to Bassey, because every single vocalist over the past 10 years of Bond feels like they've been obsessed with Bassey. I think that's how you oh, do yeah. it. Because I look at something like Skyfall or Writings mm. on the Wall or No Time to Die. And yes, you could say that's an Adele song. That's a Sam Smith song. That's a Billie mm. Eilish song. They're all kind of really the same morose, slow-tempoed kind of, like, dirges. And yeah, I, which I, maybe yeah. is consistent with Craig, but it's still... You're not getting much from it, are you? Yeah, I feel it's different. I mean, I look at, like... Because I, I know people don't like the Jack White, Alicia Keys one. I actually quite think that's, like, a funky one for Quantum of Solace. But obviously, Chris Cornell yeah, is, like, the, the high point. I like the punchy kind of, like you know, yes. energy to it. And obviously those those later Craig movies were more introspective. Mm. Um, 
but I think if like again like License to Kill is instructive in the sense that the, there is a way to pay homage to the past while you know having your own contemporary sound uh, and like yeah, incorporating those string motifs if you want to like yeah I don't know like I I, I really like like License to Kill is such a banger of a theme yeah it it's brilliant and uh and i am now team licensed to kill is right up there at the top hell yeah or very hell near yeah. the top yeah so um, we haven't really like dived into much of the plot with licensed to kill because i feel hmm. like with like with even though there's like really good depth to like bond's portrayal here and like the mm-hmm. you know the stuff with his is is with tracy bond and like you know kind of like the like the, his losses and stuff um, mm. it's still kind of like Living Daylights to me where it's very much a vibes thing this is such a good mood board of revenge and Dalton yeah, it, sells it, it from really, start to end it really really is unique um, having watched it again the other day like I, I may have only ever seen the film once maybe twice a long time ago um, and and I think always thought it was good but was never hundred percent on it and now now I watch it and I just really like how how utterly like unique this film is it's the, you know it is this kind of r-rated like ultra violent and it really is like ultra violent at times you know not not only have you got the deaths of sort of you know Milton crest um Dario and Sanchez but so many of the others are you know your guy Heller um when he's just been impaled on a forklift is nasty there's the scene with the the slightly out, not out of place, but the the scene that bloats it a little with the the undercover Hong Kong police. Which I was gonna say they completely make no nowhere. sense. Make no sense. Yeah, like that's another character. They're there and then they're not. The past era, isn't it? That's the one thing where you're like, you've gone a little bit weird here. It's yeah, because like because... They're, they're pretending to be ninjas and they're from the Hong Kong police. It feels yes. So... I noticed this. Yeah, I, I noticed because these characters turn up and the the guy, the the Hong Kong police guy, mm-hmm. is. The fella who plays Shang Tsung in the 1990s Mortal Kombat movie um, and has been basically the character model for years, which I think is great. Um, But yes, they turn up. You see them and they're allegedly criminals. Bond does his failed assassination. um, And then these ninjas turn up and I've just got in capitals. Ha ha ha. Why is there a gang of ninjas? Um, Thinking, who the hell are these guys? And then, of course, they get him and he goes, we're Hong Kong police. And... As you say, it's like, why were they ninjas then? And then when he sort of says to... When he's dying, and he says to the, the, the female ninja, he says, don't let them take you alive. It's like, are you trying to kind of invoke, like, Bushido and Seppuku here and getting your cultures all completely wrong? Mm. And it did. It, it just bloated the film. I, I thought you didn't need them there at all. There was an easier way to get him to Sanchez's place. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I do like the idea of him being interrupted in that moment because it's meant to show mm. how his personal revenge is jeopardizing a wider case to get Sanchez. Yes, w- yes, which it does because, of course, that scares Heller off for uh, from delivering the Stinger, the Stinger missiles, missiles back yeah. to Pam, which is which is quite smart. And you know, of course, the Stinger missiles turn up later and blow up all of Sanchez's dissolved cocaine, which is beautiful. <laughs> yes, I love that um, bit. Yeah, so it's you know the. Uh, yes, and, and speaking of that bit, you know that that chase at the end is—it's very interesting because there's no like there's no massive set piece really because when he goes to the facility, um, which uh, which is kind of well they've got 
Professor Joe Butcher, the televangelist, he's kind of the front for it, isn't he? Yeah, um, and there's, sorry, I was going to say as well, it's re- yeah. what I love about, you know, it, it, for as much as it's a standard American action movie in many mm. ways, like obviously it has that, that Bond craftsmanship, which is just fucking great. But mm. what I also love about it is like, it doesn't shy away from the fact of like how insidiously involved the United States was in, in the drug trade and how militarily oh, yeah. involved it was as well. They mentioned the Contras. They mentioned like, you know, they like the arms the being Contras, shipped yeah. and stuff. And like, I love the idea of having the face of like all this drug fueled misery be mm. televangelism. Uh, yeah, definitely. It all from, works yeah. very well, doesn't it? Um, I find I find him very funny. I mean, I don't find him funny because he's clearly a sexual predator. But I was I was quite entertained by you know he takes Pam Bouvier and his Pam Bouvier might be my favourite Bond girl. She's, she's class. absolutely class. She's brilliant. Um, you know she she rocks a shotgun early on, and then when Bond says go and get some new clothes, make yourself look like a secretary. And then she comes back with, like, the most powerful look and awesome haircut. Absolutely love her. Um, anyway, she she goes into his bedroom and then pulls this gun on him. And he's like, right, I'm leaving now. See you, you know. And he just, like, takes it lets her do it. He's like, a smile on his face. Yeah. Fair. And then when he's running away from his facility and they're, they're escaping on, I think, a golf cart, um, she nicks the money with, like, millions of dollars in it. And he just goes... Bless your heart. And I'm like, you know what? He just... He He's went, a romantic. Go on then. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Like, fair, fair play to him. He didn't kick off, you yeah. know. He didn't jump up and down in place. But um, but anyway, yeah, this ending is very... You know, there's no huge gunfight with an army of goons. Um, There is there is just this chase with the, this, this series of trucks, which, you know, it is big and impressive and quite bombastic and very explosive. But at the same time, it's nothing like the scale of of some of you know of of things like you only live twice we, with the the whole volcano lair. It's not it's not even the scale of the Mujahideen battling the Soviets in the previous film. It's it's not the scale of the later ones, the Pierce Brosnan movies, which are again huge facilities full of like hundreds and hundreds of faceless goons. You've just got this this very contained, uh, very sort of streamlined chase sequence which just ratchets up the tension further and further and further, and I think works really well. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a great finale. I mean, like, it's, it's again, mm. a great showcase for, for Glenn's talents because it really does shine through. Like, th- these are all, like, what could have been lesser productions elevated by just impeccable kind of choreography and, like, stunt Definitely. work and planning and everything. The amount of practical effects going on in these sequences is just ridiculous and again Dalton yeah. looks immersed and right at the center of it all which which really does lend so much extra weight to the character there and so yeah, yeah. You, you resolve all that tro- that the the, you know, the the fight kind of comes to a conclusion you then mm-hmm. have the the epilogue where it's him at the 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 hotel bar i do love the <laughs> um she got the the iguana which is just Right. Oh yeah, yeah. She she's but now she's wearing the bracelet which was the iguana's um collar and the iguana's got a, a normal guy collar now, but it, yeah. that's good fun, yeah. The iguana got got out clean, you know, yeah. that's good. Um yeah, there's I mean just before that scene, just to what what struck me actually was when um you know, when Sanchez goes after Bond with the machete and then there's there's that huge crash where the truck just rolls over. I mean, which would have killed them both. Um <laughs> but when Bond crawls out of it like he's really messed up, 
and it's like the most messed up you've ever seen Bond. You know, he can barely stand. He's covered in blood. His suit's all torn up. And I'm really impressed by it. He's not he's not this kind of invincible guy who we who we've seen on and off throughout the films, which I think is great. But we do get to the party. Um, this so so the party's. Is it is it the president of this isthmus place um, who's just having a party because you know they've stopped the drug trade or something? I wasn't. Quite I don't sure know. I thought he was there. just. I thought he was just chilling at a place that I thought it was just the hotel where they were just everyone was all the rich people were hanging. Maybe That's it is. And they did nick all that money, so Bond can afford to put on an awesome party now. <laughs> um, but the the, the party is very nice. Um, it's it's very interesting. It's kind of all at night, and it's it's all kind of very low lit. You've got the lovely swimming pool. You've got Q there partying with him. I think that's nice. The only MI six guy you've got there is Q, and and we all love Q, and we don't love the others. Um, certainly not Robert Brown's M or Caroline Bliss's Money Penny. They're very underserved. Um, you know, you, I mean, they have one scene each, I think, um, but. Um, uh, we have Felix on the phone to him, and I, 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 he says something along the... I mean, he's got over his wife's death pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's really um, jarring. He's too he's too happy. Uh, but he says, all right, I've been on the phone to some guys in London. They might have a job for you, or something along those lines, hinting, ah, he's going to get his job back at MI6. But I don't think Bond says, oh, I'm going to go for that. So I like to believe that, that here... Because this, this is the end of the classic Bond era. Pierce Brosnan's Bond is most definitely a soft reboot if not an outright reboot and i like the idea that maybe maybe after he put the phone down he went ah, i'm not doing that you know the idea that like well he <laughs> there's this awkward scene where he kisses talisa soto and then pam bouvier kind of she she sort of runs off in a bit of a melodramatic fashion which seems kind of out of character for her but I suppose because they have had quite good chemistry and worked very closely together as allies throughout the film, I suppose it makes some sense, but it makes her come across as a little bit wet when she maybe shouldn't. But he realises what he's done. He jumps into the pool from the balcony, which I think is is actually really cute. And I like the idea that, you know, they have a nice little exchange and then they, they sort of kiss and they kind of just hang out in the pool. And it's like, maybe that's the end of it. Maybe that's where... Bond just retires. I agree. I think this is like this is such a great conclusion to that arc, and it's kind of like it's a really cruel irony to the fact that it works so well as a resolution mm. to Dalton's portrayal, because yeah. you got to reconcile that with the idea of like License to Kill didn't do that hard at the box office. It was very controversial no, due to its it? violent content. Um, and then you had all like the, the legal right disputes going on between Broccoli and MGM, which like you know led to yeah, like another movie not being made in like six years or whatever. Because it's a shame. Because I look at Dalton and I'm like, you know, as much as I really enjoy Craig's portrayal, and I also love Connery's yeah. portrayal, I think mm. Dalton is the best Bond, and it really does does frustrate I me agree. so so much that we didn't get more of him because I feel like if he had been able to properly like get his mitts around the character you know because all mm. bonds are kind of like they, they 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 make their statement their mission statement in the first movie the second movie yeah. you know can occasionally be a bit of a wobble um mm. and the third movie i feel is like well you've got your very entrenched identity now i feel now like you're in there yeah. yeah i feel like if he had been given the opportunity to do a third Bond movie. And I think, I don't know if you've read the, the plans they had for a third Dalton movie. Some of them still feel like they're, they're operating in that 80s aftermath. 
Um, right. I just feel like if he was able to guide the character a little bit more, you would have had yeah a portrayal that was even more transparently prescient. Like it's it's just a huge, huge shame because which again, like I, I really like this this ending, and I've, I've said before that mm. this makes a nice little trilogy between On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Living Daylights, and License to Kill. I yeah. do kind of just really, really wish that he'd been given more opportunities because again, because as much as I like Brosnan, and I think you know Goldeneye's mm. a great kind of you know introduction to a new era of bond um yeah i do it's it's, I do it's a paradigm shift much like prague much like prague much like craig but yes yeah you, you do you feel kind of i feel like we're robbed of more dalton um but then i've got conflicting thoughts on it i suppose because i would have loved to see more dalton bond because the more i think about it the more he's the best even though when i think of james bond pierce brosnan's face i think comes into my head um, because that was my era, you know, he was Bond when I was growing up with Bond. Um, but Timothy Dalton was was the best one. I think his acting is is probably the best. You know, Craig got more to work with in the end, which which kind of makes that, I suppose, superior. But had Dalton got that, I think we would have got the best Bond you could ever imagine. Um, but at the same time, at least we get these two really great films that, you know, le- leaves me wanting more. But by the end of License to Kill, I can say, what a what a lovely ending. I'm really glad that, that him and Pam Bouvier went and retired, <laughs> you know, with loads of money and, and hung out with their Uncle Q sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the way you do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like, it's... it's I, I really enjoyed going back to these movies. I don't know if I've gotten all yeah. my Bond out of my system yet. I'm gonna watch. Mm. Um, I need to watch the remaining Craig movies again because I've again I've seen Skyfall, I've seen Spectre, I haven't mm-hmm. seen No Time to Die yet, so I didn't even watch that. Have, um, uh, do you, when you say not seen it yet, you mean ever? No Time to Die, no, not seen it yet, no. Um, so, but it's, yeah, it's it's a good film. Yes. it's um, it's it's very long. Yeah, um, in the way that every film is very long now, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't feel like action films should be. Yes, um, but Craig has a you know. Craig gets a lot to work with. It's nice. There's a lot wrong with it, but there's a lot right with it as well. Yeah, I mean, again with Craig, you see, you see the seeds that Dalton planted. Um, Definitely. And, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I'm in agreement with you, Joe. I really like these two movies, um, and it's been mm. a pleasure to to revisit them because as much as that fascination you have when you're a kid, you never really yeah. get the full understanding of what's occurring on screen until you're older. Yeah, and un- yeah, understanding the context of where they sit. Um, sort of within you know within film history but within you know real history as well you that real late cold war era stuff you know with the living daylights being you know the late 80s at this point the the ussr and, and the west are hmm? glasnost kind of the reconciliation kind of coming towards yeah they're, the... yeah they're, they're kind of you know they're they're ostensibly allies at this point so that makes sense for for the living daylights it's trying to kind of avert an escalation between the two and then license to kill you know i mean i put it you know, my, my jokey uh, comment was, you know, what if James Bond but Scarface? But not really, but it, you know, it is, it's got that kind of, you know, as, as you talked about, you know, the drug trade and the Contras being a huge thing in the 1980s and that that feeling of slightly unhinged 80s action movies, which, you know, which did lean into some some really grisly violence and, and really grisly content. Um, and it is great to watch them again as an adult and, and uh and understand that context and, and where they sit. And I'm really glad that we kind of both 
uh, kind of dovetailed into to watching the the Dalton ones. You know, I, I just happened to watch the Living Daylights just out of fancy the the other week, just thinking, you know what, I've not seen that film in ages. I'm gonna give that a watch, and then and then you have gone and watched them both, and you know, we both I think agreed to watch License to Kill on the same evening. And it's been a perfect opportunity to to revisit them and really kind of get into what makes them special. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Joe. I'm already eyeing up like art pieces of Dalton's Bond online because I just nice. kind of want to have that interpretation in my room. Although I will say that the best Timothy Dalton Bond movie we haven't discussed today is actually Looney Tunes mm. Back in Action where he plays Damien Green. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe right. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. It's been a pleasure thank to talk you, to you, as it is every single time when we're in the War Culture office together. Do you yeah, want to let everyone know where you can be found in your further misadventures? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, so, so once again, you know, it, it has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast of any kind. So, wow, <laughs> yeah. I've never done a podcast before, so I hope I was all right. Um, but uh, if you're interested in seeing me uh, post once every three months, um, I'm on Twitter, um, at JJ Pinwheel. Um, I'm not very active on there because I don't know what to say on there. Um, but uh, I have the same handle on Instagram, at JJ Pinwheel. That's a bit more fun. Sometimes I'll post stupid pictures of Warhammer or my dog or you know, dumb bathroom graffiti, uh, nothing too profound. Uh, but then my dog is on Instagram, uh, at Daphne underscore Greyhound, and uh, she's a much better thing to check out. Go go look at her if you want a really cute, super lazy dog. Guess I, get, I get the full endorsement here. Daphne is the delight. I should have asked Daphne on the podcast. <laughs> I should have recorded it downstairs so we, so we, <laughs> you could have got a look at her, but... Uh... <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to come visit her sometime soon. Oh, that would be a treat, mate. That'll be an absolute treat. We'll make her watch a Bond movie. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, she'll she she'll enjoy falling asleep to it. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, again, Joe, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to everyone for listening. Before we go, if you want to go and support the podcast, you can do so. We are on Patreon at Wheel of Dad Movies. And before we go, I want to thank my patrons. Thank you to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka. And Josh Brown. Um, remember, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at We Love Dad Movies. I'm on Twitter still. You and Bruins Things. Most one letterbox. You and Patterson, and on Instagram, and just generally around on what culture too. So yeah, thank you for indulging my bond, my brief bond infatuation. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Again, I won't take up any more of your time. See you around. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the Dalton Bonds. <laughs> Go watch the Dalton Bonds. <laughs>